Hi there, and welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Our vision is to find sanctuary in Christ, and then to be sanctuary to each other, and express sanctuary to this city. And so, for us, success is loving well, one person at a time. And if we can help you in any way, please do feel free to reach out, jump onto our website, sanctuarysf.com, and we would love to connect. Anyway, back to the podcast. Since we started, and my wife Amanda over there and our two little kids, we were just in Yosemite, so the picture there is uh, Amelia on my back, Hazel I think is there in Amanda's little womb pouch. So we're new parents and on, on the journey, on the adventure, life is full. Uh, we love this church. We love being a part of Sanctuary, and it's my pleasure this morning to catch us up, and I think what God is wanting to, to say to us, this, and so I'm going to kind of gra- grab my notes. For those of who of you who have been with us for some time, you'll know that we're in the middle of a sermon series that we've entitled On This Rock, and it has to look at how Jesus is building his church. Um, we've, in the past, Tom kicked us off as we launched the sermon looking at the theme of grace, which is the bedrock, you could say, of the Christian faith, that, that we have this interesting relationship with grace, though, because God pours out grace on us who don't deserve it, and when we see people receive grace who maybe we don't think deserve it, it can cause attention, and we looked at that, and it was really good. Um, just before we went to celebration, so two weeks back, Dave Ainsworth talked us through being confident and where do we get our confidence from. In the world, there's a whole set of ways that we become confident. In the Christian walk, it's a whole other paradigm of how we um, kind of derive confidence as individuals, as a group, and it was really well done. I get the pleasure this morning of looking at the theme of generosity. So, um, Buckle your seatbelts. I will tell you up front that this is a great timing of this. When I'm done, I will be inviting Tom up to um, receive a, a donation as we're launching a new giving campaign to help us into... Th- I'm totally kidding. <laughs> but isn't it funny how you're like, you get a little defensive. You're like, wait a minute. What is that, Right? But I actually think, because uh, I'm, I'm like ready to walk out the door when I heard myself say that, I'm like, I don't want to be a part of this. Um, you know, but, but I think that that's touching on something that we're going to look at today, a bit of that like, what do you mean generosity? Life is so full already. Like, how do I, why would I be generous? I sometimes have excess. Maybe I could give that, but for the most of it, forget it. You know, I'm just getting by, right? And so we're going to look at this and this this tension. So why don't um, you open with me to your scripture, um, or to your Bibles if you have one, to Luke chapter 9. And I'll tell you, what, I'm going to read it in a minute. Actually, I'll tell you what we're going to do for those of you that are new. I'll read the scripture, and what we typically do on Sundays is we actually will break into little groups and kind of in our little groups talk about the scripture on the screen. Um, and then we'll share as groups amongst ourselves together and then I'm going to kind of share some words from the front, and then we'll go into a time of response. And I think, if, you know, I think there's some things that God may want to be doing in our midst that we can respond to. We'll have the, the, the worship guys come back up, and then we'll conclude the service. So does that sound good with everybody? Okay. So Luke, 
Um, chapter uh, 9, I think I said 6, 9 is where we want to be, so apologies on that. Um, starting in verse 10, and I have the ESV. I don't know what version's on the screen. Hopefully that'll be okay. Um, it says this. We'll read to uh, verse 17. On their return, the apostles told him all they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we're, we are in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no, no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we were to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups, about 50 each. And they did so, and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. So why don't we, oop, there goes my stuff. Why don't we break into our little groups and we're going to answer two questions about this scripture. What is it telling us about God? Thank you. And what is this telling us about people? So maybe we can kind of on this side, maybe find a little pocket of four or five or so, and maybe kind of back there, this little group, yep, and maybe a, maybe a group in the, in the back. So I'll allow you guys to organize. We'll take a few minutes, kind of talk through together, and then we'll, we'll come back. A sense of there's not enough, but then God provides, there's abundance. Well, that, you guys have already like teed up multiple parts of my sermon, so that's great. I think we're all kind of seeing already in the text what I think God actually has for us this morning. Um, I, if I were to distill down maybe one, like, Twitter comment about what is this saying, I think it's this. In God, generously we receive, therefore generously we can give. I'll say it again. In God, generously we can receive, therefore generously we can give. Now, I think that's a nice sentiment. It's like easy to maybe put on a bumper sticker or a Twitter feed. But the question is, like, is that actually true, Billy? Like, I know what my day-to-day -day life feels like. And I think if we look into this passage, um, we'll see that this is a lot closer to home than maybe even we realize. And so I want to take so a little bit of time and just go through a few things that I'm, I'm seeing as well, and see if you don't find yourself in this. I think some of you are already like, oh, I can, I can relate to the disciples' response. Um, in the scripture, a major problem is presented, and it's that there's way too much need and not enough to fulfill the need. There's just not enough to go around, right? And that and sets up this fantastic miracle. It's like extravagant, crazy miracle of feeding a bunch of people with five loaves and two fish. And we scratch our heads to kind of figure that out. But, but maybe for context, one thing to, to recognize with this particular story is outside of the kind of scenes of Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, kind of the, the end of his life and all the, all the um, things that happened around it, this is the only miracle that's shared in all four Gospels. And so 
I'm actually going to be pulling, I'm going to cheat a little bit, and I'm going to pull, because we do see some other angles of the story in those four different accounts that I think help us to really see what's going on and, and bring it kind of, I think, probably pretty close to home. Starting, though, in Luke, verse 10, the very first verse, it says, on their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And so, on their return, it's like, wait, on the return from where? What, what, just, ha- where, what just happened? And what had happened is, Jesus had gathered his 12 disciples, his 12 guys, and, and he sent them out to the surrounding villages and countryside in pairs, kind of two by two, and said, you go and now share the, story, you know, the message of the kingdom of God with those villages, and you go on your own. Don't take much with you. Go and, and share this news. You've been with me for a while now. Now I'm sending you to go out. And they come back, and they're, they're um, on the return. The apostles told them all that they had done. They're actually fired up. Like in some of the other accounts, they're like, oh my gosh, this is what, what, what went on when we went out. We had, you know, demons that were like obeying our voice. We were healing people. The message of God was going out. And they came back and they were, they were fired up. But what we also see is in that moment of their return in Mark, we actually get this line that there's so many people coming to them and Jesus in that moment of their return, coming and going, that they can't even get a meal in. People are coming and going because there's so much like demand almost for like this this message. And they're, so they've just gone out and they've served and they've gone on a work trip, you could say, on a mission trip, you could say, and they've come back and they're not just, they, they want to just sit with Jesus and say, hey, let us, let us talk about all that we've done, but actually they can't even get a meal in. And so there's all this pressure from the outside. I, I'm, the thing that comes to mind are our interns, Jordan, Becca, Emily, you guys are here, right, from England, helping us. And imagine if you go back and you're just like, I want to tell our family, our friends about all that we've been doing, but bam, like life just comes in and there's all these demands. Your ministry's needing you, your job's needing you, your family's needing you. There's, you know, challenges sort of on the home front and you're in this tension of like, oh my gosh, I I'm living in one thing that's like, it feels like a victory and excitement, but this is reality of like my day-to-day, my bills need to get paid, I got a job to do, and I can't quite like live in both places um, at, at once. And don't we know this, the experience of just the daily burden of life, all the things that we have to do that are happening. We have kids to feed, if you have a family, we've got jobs to go to, we've got, you know, families to take care of, parents to take care of, you can fill in the blank, right? of those challenges that are there. But then here's kind of another layer. So that's all happening on the surface. If you back up one verse to verse nine in Luke, it says this. It, it, it's, it, I'm just gonna read the verse and I'll kind of give the context. It's, it's Herod speaking, who, who was the leader of the, of the area. And he says, John I beheaded, this is the verse, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? He's speaking of Jesus, and he sought to see him. And it's that line, John I beheaded. And we learn in one of the other accounts of the feeding of the 5,000 that as they came back, what had happened is John was murdered, killed by Herod, head chopped off, and the disciples have to tell Jesus that that happened. Now, who is John? John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin and his very close friend from birth. 
They, they would have known each other. They would have been friends. And he just got killed. And he just found out about it. So they come back with this exciting missionary report. And they're excited about that. But then they're like, oh, Jesus, we have to share this news with you. And the disciples would have known him too. And, and so it's not just they're telling Jesus. Like, they would have known John and probably been friends with him. But we don't know. The Bible isn't totally. But you can almost infer that, like, this, is, this would have been a ministry partner, someone that we knew that we cared about. Um, and you have those people in your life. You might not do daily life with them, but they're people you really care about. You've, you've had a, a shared experience in some part of your life, and the news of their death would just be like, oh, that's so heavy. And this idea of like the burden of sudden loss is happening to them. They're, they're carrying this in the midst of the daily grind of there's so much demand, I can't even get a meal in. I'm trying to grieve but I'm excited about some things in my life that are going on, right? And you can see the tension start to actually uh, build. Even in this room, I know like sudden loss is a real thing. I don't, you know, we could go around and there's, you know, many of you have a pastor that, that passed away tragically and it's like, oh, that happened suddenly and now I'm dealing with it. My wife, her mom, her best friend, both passed of cancer, and it's like, oh, I'm having to go through life w in those moments w with that, right? Loss of a job. I mean, we've seen the headlines, so many people being laid off in the Bay Area these days. Um, my former company that I used to work for just laid off the entire workforce. There's like 900 people this week, so they're all out of a job. The company that I support in my now job, although that's going well, fortunately for my current job, the company, one company we support, they laid off like a thousand people this week. So it's like all of a sudden, you know, this sudden loss, and it's not just, you know, in the, in the case here it was a death, but it could be other things, you know, that, that just get taken away. Your health can go like that. And you're like, oh man, I'm sick. I, and you're just having to still deal with the day-to-day -day burden of life. And then there's an interesting dynamic with John that I think actually highlights something else for us. His death was incredibly unjust. He died an unjust death. He was a good person who did not deserve to die. When you read the story, there's a whole story excerpt in the Bible about that, how he came to be beheaded, and it is crazy. It is like, you're kidding me. He died because of this really like immoral reason and so they're like probably wrestling with the injustice of it all. Like, oh, like not only did we lose him, but it's unjust that, 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 and I'm sure that some in this room, I mean, all of us really, you've experienced injustice. Maybe some of it against you, it's been grievous in your life. Just unjust things that have happened to you that other people have done to you. Some of it's more subtle. It's like, oh, just the day-to-day, -day, like I, things aren't quite going my way. I just can't quite get ahead and you just have that feeling of like why are they having it so easy and it's so hard for me and isn't this like part of our human experience I mean I I know I wrestle with this you can end up in self-pity and and if you only you just actually knew how hard it was for me you know they're not able to tell the crowds who are in day-to-day -day, like hey give me a second you know I'm dealing with loss if only you knew what was going on and you could probably end up in self-pity you could also end up in real bitterness at Herod. You know, who's the Herod in your life that has unjustly taken something from you and you want it out for him? You want it out for that guy, you know? And we carry this sense of 
um, injustice and un I'll say unforgiveness toward others, even if what they did was wrong, we still are carrying something that weighs us down. Um, and one more kind of highlight in this story, as you begin to kind of feel this, because this is all leading up to this moment of this big miracle, right? And um, we read in, also in Mark, so I'm referencing Mark a few times in this to kind of un unpack in that moment of they're so, they have so much demand, so many people coming to them that they can't even get a meal, and Jesus kindly turns to them, and he says, hey, let's get away. Come with me. We'll go to a desolate place and get some rest. That's what he, that's what he says to them. And so they do. They go, they get in a boat, and they get away. And so there's this promise of like, oh, finally we can like take a breath. We can get of a for me, this place is Mineral King. Do you know Mineral King? It's in the Sierra Nevada mountains. It's like south of, it's part of Sequoia National Park, if you know that area, but it's hard to get to. It's like a un, fairly unkept like road. It's potholes. It's, you know, an hour drive, and, and, and you can go a little bit south and end up at the proper Sequoia National Park where they've got the big General Sherman tree and it's a nice paved road and all the tourists and the buses go up there. Mineral King is this, it's a desolate place. You get up there and it's much harder to get to and it's 8,000 feet elevation. The valley floor is there, 8,000 feet with a river running down it and the Sierras just shoot up on either side. You know, and if you want to get to an alpine lake or to a vista, it's another two to 4,000 foot hike to like get to those spots from the valley. I love it because it, it keeps the riffraff away. Like <laughs> no one goes there. No one's like, unless you're like into this stuff, you don't, you don't go to Mineral King. You go to Sequoia National Park. You go to Yosemite. Now, Grant, we just got back as you saw. I love Yosemite, but this is my kind of restful place, right? And it's like, oh, finally, we're going to, you know, Jesus in his kindness, we're going to go get a chance to catch our breath from the daily grind, from the loss of our beloved John, from the bitterness. We, we can try to process that of the injustice of his death. And what are they met with? It's not in our story. It kind of is. Um, it, it says that when they, you know, that part I just shared is not in the story, but we do see in the Luke version, they get to the shore and who's waiting at the top of Mineral King for them? All the people. And you got to just imagine the disciples as they coast into shore, like, oh my gosh, like, here they are again. All the needs, all the, like, challenge of these people that we're not going to be able to eat. Again, we didn't bring food for these people. You know, we, how do we do this? And it'd be like me getting to Mineral King, and my, you know, where there's no cell service, but actually my cell phone is working, and the work emails are piling in, you know, and the kids are sick, and you just, and, and just the, the challenges come, and it's like, I just want a break, you know, I just wanted a break, and I've got this, like, expectation of rest, and it's just taken from me, and so we have these, in life, don't we know what it's like to have unmet expectations? We thought things were going to go one way, and then they go another way. I mean, if there's Nine times out of ten, if there's conflict in our marriage, it's unmet expectations. Like, well, I thought you were going to do this, but you didn't. Like, you know, and that's what happens. And this is what's undergirding this moment. And I wonder how many of you may find yourselves in this, the constant demand 
of your day-to-day grind and how much it demands of you, the, the job, the people around you, your friends, trying to keep up with your neighbors, the challenges of bills and all the things, you know, maybe a sudden loss of a family member, of your health, of a job, that might be just the undercurrent of what you're going through, injustice that's maybe happened to you in the past, recently, large or small. It doesn't, it's all like draining our accounts, right? This unmet sense of unmet expectation, like, gosh, I moved here to San Francisco. I thought it was going to go one way. I had expectations for it to be one way, and it's not. It's going a different way. What do I do about that? I thought our church was going to go one way. It went a different way, right? And you could just kind of fill in the blank. I'm sure we each have our stories. And so what happens? We see in Luke, the disciples do exactly what I would have done. And they've calculated all of this, everything that's going on. They're, they're now on shore. They've, been, they, they've spent their first day on their holiday away. It's completely been hijacked by the people. And the afternoon is waning away, we see in Luke. And they come to Jesus and they say, th- it's, not even a, it's not even a discussion or a question. It's like a, hey, the day is late. Send them away we don't have enough food, have them go rest, get them out of here. And that's not what we want to do. We want to take all these pressures and say, get out, like give me a break. I cannot fulfill these needs, go. <laughs> and that's, I, I am so resonating with the disciples in that moment. And what does Jesus say? He has the audacity to say, you give them something to eat. I'm like, are you kidding me? Do you know what we're all going through right now, you know, in this moment? And, and, and then, and they actually kind of push back, again, going back to Mark, so I am pulling from other areas. You know, in the Luke, it just says kind of plainly, hey, we have five fish and, and or five loaves and two fish. In Mark, it, it, it says, um, it gives us a little more into this conversation, and they're like, wait, you want us to feed us, feed them? And they say, that is more, that would take more than, you know, half a year's wages to feed all of these people. What are we supposed to do? Go into the town and buy them food? That's what they say in Mark. Um, and, and to kind of put it into context, at minimum wage, it's probably north of 20,000 20, bucks. These are like fishermen, you know, th- these disciples, like they don't have anything. They literally just got back from a mission trip where Jesus said, don't take a wallet with you. They don't have any, but they're like, what are we supposed to do? Go buy $20,000 worth of, like, bread? And, and then you got to have, yeah. And, and so, you know, you can see the problem. They're like, no, the conclusion is send them away. Um, and I'm just wondering if, like, as I'm walking through this, some of you maybe are, like, resonating. You're becoming, you're aware of, like, your own lack in life, that you don't, your margins are thin. You don't have a lot of time. You don't have much energy. You maybe have some amount of money, but you're trying to get by. And the idea of generosity is like really far off. H- how am I t- to be generous? And, and maybe you conclude like I do, just send them away. Like I can't cons- even possibly try to be generous enough to meet the needs of all of these impossible needs. For sanctuary, we know the moment that we're in. You know, I won't unpack it, but like, for those who are a part of us, we know that like there's some, some loss that's going on that we can look at the future and say there's just no way we can meet all of 
these needs and we don't have enough to make it through. And, and I think that's a, you know, as we've seen a reasonable, on one level, a reasonable response. But Jesus does show us a different way. He shows us a different way. And I want to back up to verse 11 in Luke. What does, he, what does Jesus do when they get to shore? And they're on the, they finally have their soul retreat, their time away, their mineral king. Fill in the blank for what it is for you, that happy place away from the noise. And then he's met with the demands of everything that just followed them there. What does he do? He, number one, it says he welcomes them. He welcomed them. And in, again, going to Mark, it says, actually expands. It says that he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. That word compassion is like an inner movement of like your inner being. He like is like moved toward them. He says, oh my gosh, these people, they, they don't have a, a leader, someone to, to show them the way. I would have been moved to anger. I would have been like, get out of here, you know? And then what does he do? He tells them about the kingdom of God. He's generously sharing, and then he heals those who need healing. And it's like, how in the world did he sail up to shore and have that kind of a response? What kind of man has that response in that moment? His cousin just died unjustly. They've had all these demands. I'm sure his disciples are bickering, so he's like, golly, even my guys aren't even, you know, they're off... And it's just this, you can imagine it's tense in the boat, right? It's tense in the car on the, you know, in Mineral, it's like I don't even want to get out of the car at Mineral King because like look at all this demands. It's, you got to imagine, you can feel the tension and yet he just gracefully has that response and I want to know how did he do that? How is he like that? And I think that the miracle that ensues actually shows us the way to, to how, how he did that. Um, I want to lead us in a little bit of a time of kind of um, receiving from the Lord, responding to, I, I'm going to unpack a couple more things, but I would like actually, Tom, if you could come, and I'm going to have the worship team come. I'll have him play, because I just want to kind of lead us into what I think will be a time of worship and ministry, as I, I'm still going to unpack a couple of things. Um, and so I'll just ask the Holy Spirit to just lead us and prompt us in this time, God, that you would um, work in our hearts, I pray. Um, and so if you, if you look at the moment where the disciples say, you know, they're responding to Jesus when he says, you give them something to eat. And you can imagine in your own life, what is that area? Maybe God is highlighting something for you, that area right now that is like that pressuresome area that it's like I, I, I don't have enough to meet the need of that thing, that person, that situation. Maybe there's some specific thing that's coming to mind. And Jesus in Mark asks a really interesting question to them. He says, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And, and when they come back, they say, we have five and two fish. And so I think that question is such a key. He's saying, what, what do you have? Not can you go get what you don't have, but what, what do you have? 
there's got to be something. And it's interesting because in, again, expanding to other versions of the story across the Gospels, we see they didn't even have it. It was a little boy who had it. The little boy had five fish and, and two fish. They actually didn't have anything. And in this moment, Jesus is just saying, just give me a little bit. Just the, all I need is a little bit. Just a little bit. And I can do an amazing thing. What, what do you have? What do you have? It's almost comical. He's just like, just give me whatever you got. I can do amazing things if you just are willing to give me what little you've got. And then it says this. It says he took it and he looked up to heaven. He looked up to heaven. And I think there's two things there. I think that God's inviting us to look up from our circumstances where we see it's impossible to meet all of these needs. I cannot possibly conjure up the energy, the resources to meet the needs of my life. And he says, you know, let's look up to heaven. You know, we on our own accord would say, let's go get $20,000 of bread. We're in a desolate place. Let's go to a town probably miles away, and we're going to wheelbarrow back. That's their suggestion. Let's go wheelbarrow back $20,000 of bread for 5,000 plus. And it's like, that's ridiculous solution. You know, that's like never going to work. And, and, and I want to uh, plea with you to agree with the psalmist who says this, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. We sang earlier about God who, who helps us in our weakness, right? Who helps us as we wait on him, we rise on wings like eagles. Also, you know, our inner accountant that wants to keep track, keep score of the injustices that go on in our life, and we hold those accounts closely, and anytime they're out of balance, we cry out in injustice. That's injustice. No, that, you know, I need, I deserve this, or they don't deserve that. And I think looking up to heaven, we can fire our inner accountant, and we can look to God in heaven who is keeping account and who loves us and cares for us. And we can let go. We can release ourselves from self-pity, and we can release others who have, who have, who have injured us, who have, not, I'm not saying that justice won't be served because God says that it will be served. And he has a way of doing that either on the cross of Christ or with his wrath. And we can let go. It's God will be the judge. And we look to heaven for that. And then it says this. So he looked up to heaven with it. And he says he, get, he get, gave thanks for it. And that, that phrase, he gave thanks Hey, this is all we got. It's, we've got a three, you know, five loaves and two fish. It's all we got. And that word get, gave thanks, it also means consecrated in the Greek. There's an element of like he's, he's giving it to God. It's not about the people out there. It's like, God, this, I'm taking this to you. This is all I've got. Thank you for what I have, and I'm giving it to you, and I wonder in your life, like, what is that thing that you can, I do have a little bit, it's laughable how little it is, but I'm, but I can, I can give it to you, and only him, you know, we trust him, we put our trust in him, and just as we kind of conclude, two more points, um, by faith we obey, Jesus had said to his disciples, you give them something to eat, and there is a sense that we then do need to take that little thing that we've 
looked to heaven, we've given thanks, we've given it to God, and then we give it out. We, give, we do actually give, there is action that takes place. You know, we see in the Old Testament, the Israelites, when they're being led into the promised land and they have to cross the flood level waters of the Jordan River, God says, hey, I'm going to split this, the river for you. But it's not until they step their foot in the water that the river goes. Like they actually have to go for it. And it's, and it's an impossible thing because we're just trusting God. And this is how faith works. This is how faith works. And we, and we walk it out. Um, and I just believe that as we look to God, it's that revelation of looking to God in heaven. We get a revelation of a God who is capable that allows, empowers us to then walk it out. And then it was brought up by Robbie's group as we end. Um, we see what happened. All the needs of the crowd were met. And that's true. But you know what else? At the beginning of, in Luke, it says that the 12 came to him with their conclusion. There's not enough to go around. Send them away. Send them into the countryside that they could go get food and lodging there. All tw- it says all 12 disciples came to Jesus as a mob group to him. It said, send them out. What happens at the end? Jesus had them give the bread out. And what do they collect? 12 baskets of leftover after everybody had been fed. And isn't this the generosity of God? That as we walk in faith, We can take these steps of faith and not only does he just help us get by it's like here is more than you than you even realize like more than you even need it and they each get their own basket it's like ridiculous like isn't this grace it's like are you kidding me it's like here here's more here's more like no i don't want any more i'm too full it's like whoa in this moment right they're all stuffed now god is no man's debtor just because we give doesn't mean that he's in debt, but he is generous and he will give out. We don't always get to like tell him how he gives out, but he will give out. And so I just think that it's true in God, generously we receive and therefore generously we can give. And so why don't you stand with me and um, we're going to sing a song. I want to welcome you to just continue to do business between God. I think this is a moment of just you and him looking to heaven, being realistic about what's going on in your life, and sitting in the reality of this story. Um, I think he would welcome you, as Jesus did. I think as you go to God now, that he would reveal more of his kingdom to you, just as Jesus did. And I do think God would want to heal you of wrong thinking. And even some maybe in this room are physically injured or sick. And I would have faith and believe, and we believe as a church that God actually can touch that too. So when we pray, we'll sing and include our time. Jesus, you are incredible. There's no one like you, God. That's right. If I sailed into that shore in that moment, I would be so discouraged, so mad, so angry, but you, God, show another way. Jesus, I pray that you would just change our view, change how we view the challenges that we have. Give us a heavenly vision. Give us a faith that can believe, that can step out. And God, I pray that we would revel in your abundance as a church, as individuals. 
pray this, Jesus, in your name. 